a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The grass withers and the flower fades. God's word endures always. Thank you, Father, for that truth. The reminder that we go back to your word. We are, per, we are a people of your word. We are, as, as, the old, as the old theologian said, we are people of the book. Both the book of creation and the book of revelation. Your scriptures. We love you. Thank you for giving us your truth. We pray now that you would, you would help us to see our total dependence upon you and that we might deal with our dependency not as the world does but as the psalmist did and as we should. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Do you ever... Find yourself when you're maybe sick. You've maybe been sick for a while. And most people go through this at some point in their life. Uh, Sometimes even young families. I know that we have a couple of young families that have, uh, since the first of the year, seemed to be sick every other week. And, uh, And they have asked for much prayer. And, uh, and you get to a point where you just feel like, is this never going to end? Is this, is this the way life's just going to be? And those of you with several children have gotten in one of those cycles where one's sick, and then the next gets sick, and, and the next, and then that starts over again. Well, that can go on not just for a week or so, but for weeks. And all of a sudden, mom and dad are playing, playing tag and uh, trying to sneak out of the house and go to church and dump the kids. I mean, no, leave the kids with the other one, right? Well, it can be that. It can be uh, unemployment. It, it could be something sort of kind of related to unemployment. It could be a job that you just don't like but you know that you need to care for your family and provide for your family God put that into men particularly and so you can get to the point where you think my goodness I'm down here it's at the bottom I don't know what to do and uh, it can be caused by a lot of things like I just said sickness employment or lack of employment, it can be sin. 
It can be personal sin. It can be the sin of children. Or as I prayed a moment ago, it can be sin of parents. There's probably nothing tougher on children who love the Lord Jesus than to see their parents living in sin. So a lot of things can bring us to this. For the church, the very fact that we live in this world that is filled with enemies. I mean, isn't that at the very heart of a mighty fortress is our God? This world is filled with devils. I mean, if, if you think about that, and you take seriously the things you hear on the radio and see on a television or things that pop up on your screen on your computer or the billboards or the kind of conversation. Uh, I was having this with someone recently. Goodness. You used to go out to eat in a restaurant and it was seldom that you'd hear profanity. And if you did, it was from some crass, redneck man. And now you go out and you hear it all the time. And it's often from women. I had to get up and after, after speaking to the issue at a restaurant a couple of years ago, I had, I, got, I had to leave. I was so sickened by what some teenage girls were talking about loudly and publicly. No shame. There's no filter any longer. They're our enemies. That's the way the Bible paints them. I'm not making that up. We live in a world that's filled with enemies. Now, we're, we're here to evangelize the enemies. But dealing with them can still be difficult and even sickening. Well, this chapter is a wonderful bit of help for that. In fact, it's not just a bit of help, it's a lot of help. Uh, Each of the points tonight includes the term slough of despond taken from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Because that's easily where we can find ourselves if we're not careful. And it's not just, not just the, the great men and women of God who can slip into the slough. Augustine did after his conversion from time to time. We all know of Luther's great fits of melancholy. Calvin's health caused him great lows from time to time. Jonathan Edwards, the same. My favorite, eh, almost, my favorite 19th century Scottish theologian churchman, Thomas Chalmers. One of my favorites of the 19th century on the American side was John Lafayette Gerardo. Some of you know that. A greatly under appreciated theologian of a philosophical, theological bent, taught at the Columbia Theological Seminary, 
for 20 years after a, a long ministry to slaves in Charleston and free men after the war. In 1895, due to health, he was in need of retiring from the seminary. And I came across this letter of Girardot's. He was a Frenchman, French descent Girardot. French are known for being prone for, to fall into despondency. The English say for good reason. Girardot wrote this letter to one of his young friends telling him, said, I suppose you've heard that I'm having to leave the seminary. It's due to my health. He had had a stroke. And here's the line that gives the, 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 the melancholy away. I don't quite know how we shall live. I'm sure I'll have to give up my fine cigars for cheap pipe tobacco. Well, that one sentence, you hear the melody of despair that comes out in every chord, don't you? He was also concerned that he might have to stop drinking his fine French wine. Now we know better than that, but at that time they didn't. Now I'll tell you, more than one of his former students heard of this and supplied Dr. Gerardo with his fine cigars for the rest of his life. So don't worry that he went to his grave neglect, being neglected. But you hear in that the despondency, and a lot of things can bring that about in our lives, internally imposed upon us externally. Living in a world riddled with sin, the slough of despond is going to be a residence of ours from time to time. Now this, this chapter does a good job dealing with it. Let's look at it. Four points just following the, the, the lay of the text, two verses each. First, delivery from the slough of despond begins with prayer. No matter how low we sink, we must never cease to call upon the Lord. O oh Lord, he says, out of the depths I cry to you. Notice the spelling. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. Oh, covenant faithful one, the one who has been God to me, the one who has been steadfast in his love toward me. But then, verse 2, let your ears, I'm sorry, the end of verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O oh Lord, Yahweh, O oh Lord, hear my voice. So first he cries out to the designer of all things, to the one who, who, who hears us and cares about us. But you know what? Sometimes, and this is one of those places where parents particularly struggle, you love and you care and it's your design to take care of and then you find yourself not able to. If I were to ask every adult in here, 
parent particularly, have you ever found yourself like that where I really wanted to help? It was my plan to help. I knew I, I needed to help, but I just couldn't. I didn't have the whereabouts. I didn't have the wherewithal. Okay, now the psalmist turns to Lord, small O-R-D. That's the Almighty. He's not only, he not only cares and wants to, Yahweh, but he's almighty. He can. That's important. Please, y'all. Some of you are like, what's the point? The point is, if you're, if you're a Christian, that should wow you. That should also inform your prayers. That's the way you should pray. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. If you're not, de- if you're not depending on the covenant faithful one and the almighty one, well, God's faithful. I- I'm sure he'll work out some way. No, he's faithful and he'll do it. That's very different, isn't it? I'm sure he'll work out a way and he'll do it. Those are two different things. And the psalmist goes in prayer to a God who cares and will do. That should affect your prayer life. And what does he say? Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He knows that he needs God to withhold from him what's taking place. That's mercy. Withholding what we deserve. Withholding what we rightly get. All the bad stuff. So he asked the Lord to withhold those bad things. That's his prayer. That's where he begins. Derek Kidner, in his fine uh, commentaries on the Psalms, in the second volume says this, What is clear in all such passages as these two verses is that self-help is no answer to the depths of distress. Folks, we live in a self-help age. We live in an age where the church has turned toward self-help instead of divine dependence. And the psalmist knows nothing good comes from self-help. We're puny. We're finite. But God is almighty. And he can do all that we need. So question, do you know that you need God for everything? Second, delivery from the slab to spawn includes repentance. That's verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Right there. Embedded in those two verses is repentance because he brings up the whole issue of iniquities. What are we to do when we sin, when we miss the mark, when we transgress God's law? We have to turn from it. We have to repent of it. And he prays with great assurance that that's good. It's almost like he assumes repentance, isn't it? If you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. 
There's something that has to take place in there for there to be forgiveness, and that's repentance. Just a quick lesson remind you of the Lord's teaching in the book of Luke. Repentance is not simply being full of, filled with remorse. It's not feeling sorry. It does include those elements, but it's also turning, changing. Literally, that's what the Greek word means is to make an about face and go the opposite direction of the direction you're going. That's what's required for God to bring forgiveness. But now, the good news is repentance is a gift of God. Repentance is, is all on us and all from God. You have to repent, but God gives you the repentance. Look it up in Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 11, and you'll find repentance mentioned there as a gift of God. It's always given from God. Wonderful answer in our shorter and larger catechisms concerning what is repentance. It's a grace gift of God. So repentance. Notice what repentance, what comes with repentance, he says. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord. Notice he does it again, that uppercase L-O-R-D and then the lowercase. O Lord, who could stand? Almighty one. Who could stand against the Almighty one? Now you might say, oh, if it's the covenant faithful one, I can stand because his steadfast love endures forever. He's my God and, and, and I'm his people. But the psalmist knows, yeah, but we got this other thing going with God. He's not just a covenant faithful one. He is an almighty one who can mash us with his thumb if he were to so choose. We have, as Christians, we can never lose that, that understanding that God is this God who is big and he is sovereign and he judges sin. The moment you quit believing that he judges sin, you'll start living a licentious life. That's what a hyper grace doctrine will lead you to. Don't go there. The results are not good. But with you, there is forgiveness. Why? What's the purpose ultimately of forgiveness? Oh, so I don't, I don't go to hell. So I don't have to suffer the punishment. No, that you may fear God. That's what he says right there. But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. You may be reverenced. You may be honored. You may be praised. You may be thanked. All of that should be the response of God forgiving us just the overflow of our affection for God. Three, delivery from the slough of despond comes through the word. The image there is, uh, imagery is vivid, isn't it? In verses five and six, I wait for the Lord again. Again. 
upper case, Lord, Yahweh, covenant faithful one. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Now we're going to come back to the word. That's obviously the main point of this, this, this point, but never mind that for a moment. My soul waits for the Lord, the almighty one, lowercase. My soul waits more than the watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. Anytime we say something twice, we're trying to get people's attention, right? That's called emphasis or emphasis for some of you. That's emphasis. And he emphasizes that, doesn't he? More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. But more. What, what, my soul waits for the Lord. I think the best way to illustrate how, how, how desirous he is for the Lord is to think about sickness. Some of you have had the sad occasion of sitting overnight with loved ones who are very sick. I don't think there's anything tougher than sitting with a parent, unless it's a parent sitting with a sick child who is extremely sick, perhaps even deathly sick. The sun sets and that night goes on and on and on and on and you don't think the sun's ever going to rise again if I were to ask some of you have been through that you would raise your hands you know exactly what I'm talking about as the watchman waits for the morning that's the imagery here David's painting And he says, more than that, more than that longing. And oh my goodness, you remember the moment that that sun begins to brighten up the sky and it just turns a little light. There's so much hope in that. We made it through another night. And then the sun a little more as it rises in the sky. And the psalmist says, My soul waits for the Lord even more than that. Now the convicting question. Do we wait for the Lord like that? Do we have that same anticipation as a person in the sick room with their loved one just praying that the sun will rise? looking forward, so forward to seeing some sun. And the sun gives us hope. Another day is, we've made it another day. And we're waiting for the Lord like that. That's a convicting question, isn't it? Because most of us don't deal with our situations as realistically as the psalmist is describing it. We busy ourselves with the phones, We busy ourselves with 
you name it. Instead of really thinking about it. Well, what informed the psalmist on this? Well, we're back to the main point of these two verses. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. The sunrise for the psalmist is the word. That's where he finds his sun. That's where the sun shines, is in the word of God. That God is a covenant faithful God and he will do good. We go a number of psalms, and this is the way the psalmist lives. Difficult times, hard times, enemies everywhere, but God's going to deliver me. God's going to be my refuge. God's going to be the, the one that spreads his wings over me. God's going to be the one. And you can go to some place in the psalms where the psalmist laments at how bad things are in this world and how the, the wicked seem to prosper. And he gets to the end and he says, oh, yeah, I forgot. Even if they do in this life prosper, at the end, God wins. And so do I. And that's how we live. That's what we wait for. That's our hope. And that's only, you're only going to find that hope in the word of God. You're not going to find that. In any other source, we wait for the Lord the way the Bible tells us to wait and with the hope that the Bible gives us. That's where we find this kind of hope. The psalmist elsewhere, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. Some of you have that memorized. Peter puts it this way, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. See the same imagery that the psalmist is using here with the watchman? Peter used. He probably had just read Psalm 130. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from, oh, I got to back up. I skipped something. A more sure word, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Who's the morning star? Christ. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how dependable God's word is. The Hebrew, the writer to the Hebrews, long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The same one that has the power to create the world spoke and continues to speak. That's who the psalmist looked to. That's the word he looked to. And found his hope. Last, delivery from the slave despond comes with the Lord. So, prayer is essential, repentance essential, the word of God is essential. You, you notice there's there's a there's there's something of a progression here, right? We start with prayer, 
If we pray rightly, we're going to come to repentance. Repentance is going to be defined and set the framework set for us in God's word. And it's ultimately going to point us to the Lord. That's where we go. That's where he goes. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. Don't you love that? Plentiful, abundant, abounding, lavished redemption. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can think of God as just giving us enough. But he lavishes us with everything we need for our salvation. He spared not his own son. How could we think that he would then be stingy? O Lord, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Okay, I'm going to anticipate something. Because I know there are people who would say this, but we're not Israel. And I'm just going to answer, O you foolish person. I'm going to, when we finish John, I just counted up 87 sermons in John over two years. And that doesn't count special timeouts like this one, Christmas, Easter, etc. We're almost finished. And I've, I'm, 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 I'm about that close to making full commitment. I'm already studying so I'm, I'm, I guess I am already committed to First and Second Thessalonians. And we will there consider this whole issue. Who is the true Israel of God? Who has always been the true Israel of God? God's people. You say, how can you be so sure that it wasn't the nation Israel and the church? Because there's one elect people of God from all eternity. And you do not find God dealing with them differently in time and space. That settles it, folks. So who's the Israel of God? Who does the psalmist, O Israel, hope in the Lord, he says in the next psalm. From this time forth and forevermore. Elsewhere, he says, pray for the peace of of Jerusalem. Elsewhere he says peace upon Israel. That's peace upon God's people. Paul says it in Galatians 6, does he not? That we're the Israel of God. Peter, Peter says it when he defines us with the same descriptors that Lord used of his Old Testament people, that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. There's one people of God. There's one covenant of grace. Not two, not an old one, not a new one. That's the same, that's the same mistake as dispensationalists make. You're carving the Bible up into twosies instead of onesies. I didn't even get a smile out of any of you that sleep in onesies. All right, let's move on since we got that settled for a moment at least. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. 
And where does our hope come from? Well, back up. In the word, I hope. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. There it is, hesed. With him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem his people from all his iniquities. Notice it doesn't say he will make provisions for their redemption. It says he will redeem. That's why you don't have to sit around wondering. Well, am I saved or am I not saved? If God has brought you to saving faith in Christ, if the Holy Spirit has changed your heart, if you then can look at yourself and say, well, then God only does that for his elect. Then you have no reason to ever ever struggle with extended moments of doubt. You notice I said extended moments of doubt. When sin comes into our life, and particularly extended sin, we should struggle. But when we come back to the cross and come back to Christ and we realize who we are in Christ, that struggle goes. And so goes our struggle with assurance. The Lord is plentiful. Listen to how, how Paul defines plentiful. In Ephesians 1, he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's the plentiful redemption that, that the psalmist is talking about, isn't it? That's just an abbreviation for what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. So, when you're in distress... Some of you, more so than others, just have a natural bent toward melancholy. That's an old word, Pastor. What does that mean? Depression. When you find yourself in the slough of despond, for whatever reason, doesn't matter. This is a good place to go, isn't it? And you're going to find that, okay, I need to pray. I know I need to repent because, look, if we're down and out and we're a Christian, we need to repent of that because Christ has won. He is immeasurable. Our redemption is plentiful. So that demands repentance. You say, well, how am I going to know? Reading God's word. Usually the first thing that happens when you're down and out is you quit reading God's word. And that just compounds your problems. You're not going to find light anywhere other than in God's revelation. Both written and in his living word, the Son. We have to go and read the word. We have to contemplate the riches of his plentiful redemption. We have to pray hard. We have to read believing. And we have to look up to Christ. He's the only one that can sympathize with us fully. He will already know 
about our dark times, and he can love us through them and out of them. And you'll find all that in the book. Read it. Pray it and believe it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask you to bless now. In Christ's name, amen.